Ah, the simpler sounds of life before COVID. A plane flying overhead, me fast walking a few minutes late, and not for the first time, down a Berlin street, heading for another interview where we would sit, maskless, around a kitchen table, breathing the same air and just talking. But in this conversation with Jennifer Neal, author of the forthcoming novel, The Color of Her Blood, you can also hear that maybe things weren't so different in January after all. Among the things we talked about, illness and health and meds and money. We talked about global anti-blackness. We talked about bad politics and good writing. And so I'm going to go on the circular faith that if things weren't so great then, then they cannot be so irredeemably bad now. And this movable feast of writers and artists and musicians I found in Berlin, these energetic and eclectic minds like Jennifer, making homes for themselves around the world, this will continue in some form, in some city, in some future maybe brighter than the one we can see now. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Check one, one, two, mm-hmm. two, three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that last, that last flourish I, did it. I hope Kate listens to this because I'm doing that for her. <laughs> Kate does listen. Yay. Shout out Kate Kunith. <laughs> our uh, sister from another side of the planet yeah. listening in Los Angeles, California. I miss that hoe. I wasn't going to say that, but my feelings exactly. <laughs> Some hoe is being missed in Berlin today. <laughs> Jesus. All the things that should not come out you of my mouth. You can just leave that there. It's okay. fine. Um, first, I would like, in a, uh, in a podcast first, I would like to present you with American Medications. Yay! <laughs> so, so tell me without uh, blowing up your various ailments. Uh, <laughs> tell me why you asked me to bring you some shit from CBS. Oh, you mean the rash in New York. <laughs> that, good thing it's a podcast. It's hideous. people. Yeah. yeah I got a rash for radio. Um, <laughs> no. So I have been sick on and off for the past two, three months, uh, with cold slash flu slash whatever. And it is, nearly impossible to get any decent decongestant medication in Germany. What do they, they just give you good wishes and warm hugs and uh, <laughs> essential oils? Well, even that's a little bit too risky for German people. You know, uh, They give you like, literally I've had eucalyptus tablets. That's what they've given me. Lemon flavored uh, throat lozenges, yeah. um, which are literally just sugar and lemon extract without any medication added to them. And I was just like, I am never ever going to get better taking this shit. So after this last cold, which knocked me the fuck out for about a week and a half, um, that's when you told me you were coming. And I was like, oh my gosh, wouldn't be so wonderful if <laughs> you could give me some like actual cold medication, the kind that gets you carded in CVS with the, with the meth making ingredients. It, which it did. <laughs> I actually had to show identification. I sent you a picture of the receipt. Yeah. I was like, damn, this must be the right stuff. 
It says like 4.4 grams. I of, know. I was like, damn, uh, that's enough to get anybody fucked up. <laughs> so so uh, I am your uh, willing and glad drug mule. I'm so um, grateful. Honestly, this is going to 48 fucking tablets. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a party. Oh, my God. If it wasn't dry January for you, we could just uh, <laughs> fucking chop those up and take it down. Um, but you're having dry January here. Yeah. Uh, but tell me why and, and uh, how, do we, how do we meet you on the other side? <laughs> I guess all I can say is what I'm saying to all my other friends, which is just be patient with me, please. You know, I, everybody hates that guy, right? At dinner, at the birthday drinks or whatever. And I've had to, and I didn't drink for most of my life until I moved to Germany. I, I hardly ever touched the stuff. Oh, willkommen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what a time to be alive, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I just decided that, I mean, I didn't drink often but the times i did it was typically absinthe because i love the flavor of licorice and i just decided that wasn't enough i didn't drink it enough to feel like giving it up would be a big deal um so that wasn't hard but i thought okay since that's not too difficult let me make it a little bit more challenging oh yeah you did up the level. It's not just alcohol we're off of this month. It's all sugar and all wheat. So, um, which you basically have described the three thirds of any given German's constitution: yep. sugar, bread, and beer. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, I mean, you know, the truth hurts, <laughs> but exactly, and. Also, because I love to cook and I'm really good at it, I really had to just pull myself in, like rein my shit in and basically be like, yeah, I could make a whole batch of brown butter chocolate chip cookies right now, or I could stick to the plan. And I end up waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, craving sugar. I shit you not. Really? That addiction is not fake That's at the all. stuff. It's so funny. Like I have quit many things many times uh, in, in my life uh, from, you know, hard drugs to alcohol at times and, and definitely cigarettes. Coffee is the one that I will never, Oh, I am under the boot of caffeine and will remain there for all my days. And everybody's like, you know, it's cool because it's better that than like heroin, which, uh, or something which would make me uh, difficult in society. But I mean, some people might say that'd be a little bit harder, but I'm just, amazed at how fucking tough some of the small things can be and then like salt yeah. and sugar are just coursing through our veins from uh you know from infancy so yeah good luck <laughs> sorry that sounded harsh yeah that. you you sound like you don't believe in me right now <laughs> good luck you got two weeks you're not gonna make it jen i mean girl let me tell you i woke up this morning and i i had to seriously stick my face in cold water for a couple of minutes thinking like it's either this or I'm just going to have to bake a whole loaf of bread and eat it <laughs> before you get here. <laughs> just jump in like a fucking chowder in a soup bowl. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, you can do it. I did this last year without this weird uh, sugar uh, bonus challenge. Thanks. Um, but I did the alcohol. I did dry January last year. Um, 
and made it through. I think listeners of this podcast had to suffer through that shit too, especially because I was like dry in January and the episodes were coming out in March. And like anybody, I'm just like talking overly much about, you know, my commitment to myself or some shit that nobody wants to hear. No. You, you're very, you've been, I'm the one who asked you, I'm the one who forced the issue because I was like, should we drink alcohol? It's yeah. a drinking podcast. So you're being very good at incognitoing this thing. I would never bring it up unless somebody asked me like I was at a, a birthday dinner over the weekend and um some the waitress was serving like welcome drinks and she asked me alcoholic or non-alcoholic and I said non-alcoholic and then somebody said non-alcoholic <laughs> and then I said oh yeah just keeping it light and breezy for the evening yeah and that's tough too uh being a, a woman of your age everybody's like all right when you do yeah <laughs> like fuck you and i'm like never (laughs) never ever ever this the only virgin part on my body is my uterus because it's never been polluted by a fetus (laughs) no offense to mothers out there i love all of your children (laughs) shout your uterine virginity (laughs) my goodness all right what are we drinking here tea (laughs) we're drinking tea you had this uh you had it in your cabinet it's called uh, which means Hut dream. Hut dream. Got a crazy hut dream. It's like, it's it's supposed to be like a a, a twinkly <laughs> cabin in the middle of a snowy forest. There's like some primal German like <laughs> longings uh, steeped into here. It's like it's like Germany's interpretation of warmth and kindness because it doesn't come in any other platform. <laughs> like it comes in a warm cup of tea. Tea for people who've never been hugged. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. T for people who shout at you when you cross the crosswalk and, during a red light. Um, That's who it's for. I did so many holdups, like as if I had run into like an Eruv wire or like uh, had just gotten clotheslined at the intersection, even just walking up here. Yeah. And because I'm doing it to myself because I'm like about to charge the fuck through this very empty intersection with Yo. the little red Ampelmann, uh, you know, guy telling you don't walk. And then I look around and everyone is yep. like just standing and that's not just i mean it's not just german looking people they're all germans but yeah. it's like people of all nationalities gather together to live in germany and become people who won't jaywalk yep it's so crazy sounds about white yeah <laughs> <laughs> but no that's the part that's the part i mean you know obviously there's a far right here that doesn't believe integration is going real well they have definitely colonized the brains of i saw some African descendant yep. people, some Middle Eastern looking people. Yep. Everybody's just like controlling that very primal, natural, justifiable urge to just walk when you're able to walk. Yeah. And I'm over here like 1776, bitch, and crossing the street. <laughs> like you can take the girl out of America, but you can't take the America out of the girl. And I refuse to be colonized. I, I choose to remain a freely minded, liberated, proud ass woman of color gonna cross the street when i fucking feel like it i i i rolled over so much more easily that won't surprise you but i just (laughs) i just gave it up to the prevailing currents here i mean listen the the german my first one of those interactions that sounds like you've had a few of was was when i was 15 somewhere around stuttgart and i crossed the street or i think i started to cross the street and i think she might have actually grabbed my arm but there was a grandma who just kind of 
grabbed me back and she said uh, something that someone had to translate for me because I didn't uh, talk the German back then. And she was like, there are children watching. <laughs> so crazy i was like oh my god see normally i'm a monster <laughs> see normally when we hear that back in the states it's because your pants are around your ankles here or, or something or maybe you're beating your partner yeah, or you yeah. know in new york taking a dump on the corner yeah. like yeah oh, nobody cares about that here <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like perfect yeah i've seen that more times than i can count and in front of police officers they do not care about that wow that's interesting. But, so grandma could have just dropped <laughs> dropped right there and that would be way better than uh than crossing. And then the, the light. and the polizai will say das ist Berlin. But if you cross the street during a red ampelmann signal, it's das ist verboten. That is forbidden. You and I have done a podcast before. This is another so many firsts with you today. Yeah. Uh you are the first person I've had on who was a co-host of a podcast. Woohoo! That I, I don't I don't even it's all kind of a blur, but did yeah. it ever see the light of day? Did we we publish a few or no, we did kind of transcripts. They I were guess. transcripts. In the end, we never quite were able to uh, publish them. But what was uh, the, what was this pod, podcast? We take us back <laughs> while I drink my hut dream. <laughs> It was, um, we were doing recaps of the final season of Parts Unknown. Well, it was not supposed to be the final season. No, it, it was not supposed to be the final season, unbeknownst to us at the time. Uh, right, yes. One season of what were supposed to be many more. Fun surprise. It was the final season of uh, Parts Unknown. And it was a cool thing. Like, we were trying to, um, we wanted to, like, connect because because we were running explore parts unknown which was this whole digital project which you had uh multiple kind of uh involvements in yeah. and, uh and and we were trying to like do something that was a little more on the fan side and also you know in a unique position as uh tony's partners to both kind of you know celebrate the episodes in that way that like an eater recap would do but also to give him some shit for his <laughs> You know, many and usually pretty adorable blind spots or, you know, kind of obsessions uh, yeah. that that uh, or things we thought he might have left out. And it's funny because Berlin was, you know, Berlin was part of that, uh, ultimately that final batch of episodes. Yeah. And, and uh, I had tried very much to, like, influence him about how to. I mean, how to love Berlin. I, I, I still love this town. That's right, because you sent me to that random weird um, film director to pick up some tapes oh, yeah. to bring you. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's right. I wanted to, you know, <laughs> this is like how you reached uh, Tony was by actually getting him some like crazy ass film. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. so I wanted some like Defa film or, uh, you know, some of the East German film studio stuff. Um, and, uh, wanted to like show him this shit so he could see like Berlin and it's punk phase, Berlin, yeah. and, you know, between the wars and I kind of get into it. I, you know, I would say, uh, I, I feel like it was a little unsuccessful and really, but that's why he was in. He was like, <laughs> he was going to do Berlin always his own way. He wanted to come see Anton. Newcomb and and uh, and then he was just going to do it from there. But anyway, this podcast we had was cool. You were sitting at this table. Yeah, 
Yeah, right here. And now you're joining me. Yeah. And I would be uh, back in Brooklyn and we would just kind of talk shit about the episodes. Yeah. And I remember when you approached me about doing that project to begin with and you said that you were watching my video segments for the Perfect Dish in Asia uh, project and then you saw how I was constantly calling out Tony and giving him side eye on camera and you said yeah I need somebody who can talk shit about Tony and I looked thought about you and I thought yeah that's the girl <laughs> and I was like that's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me <laughs> that's awesome no it's uh that is super true so you did before that the first thing we did together was this uh video series and uh yeah that's good times fucking uh ANA god love you guys all Nippon Airlines had given us uh, a chunk of change to send different writers uh, to go eat their faces off in Southeast Asia. And that's where you met Kate Kunath, our superstar friend uh, and director who directed the episodes. Yep. And you got, I think you drew the long straw. I'm going to say that. You got to go to Jakarta and Singapore. Just fucking rad. Yeah. Uh, you had zero voice when you landed, which was hilarious. <laughs> it was, and you know, I know that happened with the with the guy I was seeing at the time and he denied it long after and I was like no because I saw you on the day I flew out and you after I kissed you you said that you were sick and I was like why wouldn't you tell me that before and then it was like this long debate for weeks after he goes you don't catch a cold that quickly and I'm like yeah motherfucker you do I mean that was 24 hours of flying or something yeah. alone incubating on the plane oh man yeah. so it was for love huh just had a little, little magic mono. Which is why I want to tell everybody right now, don't do it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Don't kiss. <laughs> don't pollute your uterus. <laughs> yeah. Look, it worked out in the end. It did. They were yeah. awesome. You were just you were just kind of like sultry and raspy. <laughs> I sounded like scary spice. <laughs> like the just like the throatiness of it all. Uh, but they were beautiful, beautiful episodes of just going and like kicking it with our, uh, you know, with our, 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 our dude. Uh, I especially love the guy in Singapore who's like, yeah, has must be one of the world's great collection of like Mickey Mouse t-shirts. <laughs> 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 and you know, you were incredibly w well put together, uh, today as every day that rash thing was a joke earlier. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> there's a bit of a, a fashion mismatch. <laughs> but the noodles were on point. The hawker food was yeah. uh, was legitimate. So these are all these like fun projects that we got to do in, in Tony time. You came out to New York for the uh, for the launch party and all those things. Yeah. And then we had this podcast. Yeah. But anyhow, here we are. Fuck it. We're being healthy. Yeah. We're drinking tea. Yeah. We're cutting sugar and bread. Well, you say we, but I think you mean me. What have <laughs> I cut out? You, because you also showed up kind of late, and I'm just wondering, what did you get up to? <laughs> I'm jet lagged, dude. <laughs> this is not. Is that is that uh, the culprit? Uh, I did. Uh, no, there was some drinking. I I don't know. I I do. Uh, there's a lot of sobriety going on in 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 my world, and I I I I abstain from that. Hmm. I don't know if that is, is there so a wait, word you for abstain that? from sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in a very non-judgmental <laughs> way, you know, I'm yeah, not, I'm not yeah. judging people who choose not to drink, but, um, <laughs> thank it, you. Appreciate that. I think structurally also when you paint yourself in the kind of corner I've, I've created now, which, you know, this, this podcast was also around while you and I were podcasting for Explore Parts Unknown. It was a slightly different podcast. I re, you know, kind of with Matt and Alexa, we kind of re 
juked it as a drinking podcast. And that kind of builds drinking into my professional life in a way that will always keep me connected, you know? <laughs> so I don't... I mean, it's really good that you have that emotional connection to it. <laughs> you know, it's... It sounds like it's been a valuable contribution to your life. Uh, totally. I, mean, I get to be with my old friend, uh, <laughs> uh, alcohol and alcohol, and, and it uh, it works out. But tea's good, man. I mean, this hot dream is is not bad. <laughs> what did you drink with Musa last night? Musa, Musa, Okwanga, and I drank Moscow Mules. Fuck. Per uh, request of him, he he mixed them together, and he he did like this lovely job. We got the Haku vodka, this Japanese vodka, and uh, and they have ginger ale. I was really concerned that they don't sell ginger ale in the markets. Germans love ginger ale, apparently. So, yeah. Uh, Anything with a lot of sugar, they love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're learning this in your, yeah. in your abstinence days. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, hard. <laughs> so anyway, we could talk about alcohol if that brings you pleasure to talk about this thing that you've, you're denying yourself. Uh, I had I some mind. really lovely wines yesterday. And then I brought Lagavulin for um, for my German friends who had first introduced me to smoky-ass peaty scotches when I was 16. Oh, yeah. uh, and I felt, Smoky scotches. Sm- felt so grown up, you know. So now every time <laughs> I come back, I try to pay it forward. It's, it's a really <laughs> seminal moment in my life to, to drink a smoky-ass scotch yeah, you know, neat out of a low ball glass that just felt like I was forty without the <laughs> you know joint pain or something. So how do you feel when you drink it now? I feel like I'm forty, which is uh, you know younger than I actually am. I'm, I'm freshening right up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's nice. I mean, you know, I'm I, the other f- refrain through all of this is uh, through this podcast. I mean, fuck the alcohol. It's just a nostalgia tour, you know, mm. and Berlin's a nice one. Cause I got new friends like you, you know, my kind of like collaborators and these writers that I'm into. And then I've got like my just hardcore early nineties people who, uh, you know, will do anything for some smoky scotch and just <laughs> talk shit about <laughs> the world. So it's nice. Uh, all right, let's roll, let's roll it back. From before the the video series you did with us, mm. um, the reason why I was first into you was because of your writing. How how does it fit? I mean, you do you do stand up, mm. doing writing. You'll do like these film projects mm. uh, with us as they come up. But, but but writing was kind of the start of it for you, or was it stand up first? Um, I've yeah, writing was definitely the start. I've always been a writer. Um, I never really got paid to write until I moved to Germany. Is that true? Um, yeah. That's I mean, crazy. I was I was a senior editor like on a like in an employed job at Bauer Media in Australia. But that was business stuff, you know, business tax like wow. What your fashion. eyes are doing right now? <laughs> your eyes are doing 50 things. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to like pull a retina. Yeah, look, every time I think about what the life was beforehand, I'm just like, thank fuck, that's over. Because there are only so many different ways you can talk about tax in an exciting way, you know, and that was my job. And I thought, you know, my blog was always about politics and travel and art and sexuality. And I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to try to make a living out of doing that. So I moved to Germany. Um, By then, I'd been doing stand up for maybe a year. And... 
the way I got my foothold in Germany was by doing stand-up. That's how I made all my friends, made some connections. So once you dropped your bags here, you were like, the first thing was go to a comedy club and figure yeah. out how to get into that scene. Yeah. In fact, when I was doing my like recon tour before I moved to Germany, Berlin was on one of my tour spots and I did two gigs here. One was like a sort of open mic, like five minutes. And the second one was a headliner and it, it went so well. And I met so many great people and I was like, yeah, I'm going to come back here. This is the spot. This is the spot. And you were, did you do stand up in other parts of Europe? While yeah. You were kind of, that's yeah. so funny. That's a crazy way to like figure. I mean, it's a great way to, to try to locate your next spot. Just like, I'm going to go do a set, see how it feels, see yeah. how the crowd is, see, you know, see if I'm getting the love back that, that I deserve. And I mean, and you felt it here. It's as good as indication as any. And you get to really know a, a culture, um, a people by their sense of humor. And I mean, London was, was fab. It was fantastic. Uh, and I was actually more set to go there, but then Brexit happened and I was like, yeah, nah. yeah. They like to keep their humor in their politics. <laughs> <laughs> they like to do funny things at the ballot box. It, and funny slash terrifying <laughs> slash catastrophic. And, um, yeah. So I was like, yeah, not going there anymore. And then I also did a gig in Amsterdam and that was for a burlesque show. And I was emceeing it and I had to dress up in a shiny corset and thigh high stockings and like big hair and high heels. And there was this great part of it. Dutch have a great sense of humor, by the way. There was this great moment where people were flinging dildos as sort of part of the, um, the act, not my act, somebody else's act. And um, one of them hit me in the face and... <laughs> I said, once all the laughter died down and everybody sort of went back to their drinks and whatever and was waiting for me to speak, I said, what's the matter? You guys are acting like I just got slapped with a dick in my face. And then everybody just sort of like, oh, and I was like, yeah, this place is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to unpack what you just told me. <laughs> they put you in a corset and yep. big stompy boots, Check. Uh, big hair, Check. threw a dildo at your face yeah. and you said, okay. Naturally. Oh. <laughs> All right, Amsterdam. Yeah. But you didn't go to Amsterdam. No, because the visa requirements were much more complicated to move there because you need to have like employment, a job or something like that. Besides and... just getting paid to get hit in the face with those <laughs> and crack jokes. I mean, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> I think that's a perfectly legitimate profession. Just ask any sex worker. Uh, absolutely. All right. Uh, yeah. So then Berlin came, but you, you had said before uh, you had mentioned you are Australian. Mm -hmm. um, uh, your accent is not deeply Australian. No. Walk, walk, walk me through how you started this kind of, uh, I don't know what it was. It's not uh, vagabond, peripatetic, <laughs> uh, itinerant, uh, yeah. globe trotting. Sure. You can say any of those things. You could also say confused. <laughs> how did your confused life begin? <laughs> Uh, well, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, well, no, I was born and raised in the States and we moved around frequently, like every three years within the States. And then, um, when I graduated from Florida State University, I went to Japan to teach there and had a ball. You were like on the jet program? Yeah, I was on the jet program. All right. Yeah. The many alumna. All right. Yeah. 
And that was the dopeness. And where'd you go? Yamaguchi. Do you know it? Yamaguchi. That's where my wife's family's from. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yamaguchi came from Yanai, which is a village. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, I lived in Kudamatsu. Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. That's I mean, crazy. I mean, it's like the smallest, most like armpit holiest part of. <laughs> well, why do you think they're Californians? <laughs> Ouch, man. <laughs> oh, it's so funny because I'll run into it. We had even Japanese-American people I grew up with in San Francisco. One, uh, I mean, just old, old, old friends. And then finally you mentioned something about where everybody comes from in the old country. Fucking, I swear to God, Yanai has come up, which is this tiny village. Yeah. Which apparently is just famous for inspiring people to go very far away. Because, <laughs> like, it is it is somehow in the family tree of so many of uh, of my people back in California. It's just like... Seems like a great place to leave. Um, <laughs> I mean, we went there. We we visited some of the family. It's it's cool. It's beautiful. But uh, yeah. I don't. I I think they've had some hard times in the past. Yeah. So you were in Yamaguchi. Well, that's great yeah. though, because that that shows you shit that you would not get to see if you were just stuck in Tokyo. Absolutely, and that's why it was much easier for me to pick up the language because I was in a rice paddy in the middle of nowhere. And nobody spoke English. So not even my Japanese teacher spoke to me in English. She spoke to me only in Japanese from day one of lessons. God damn. So I was like, all right, here we go. That, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> that is about as different from North Florida as you could get. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> FSU. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I'd done some internships and, and jobs and traveled in lots of other places like China and Spain, Mexico, I've been all around. Uh, and that was my first time like living, living abroad. And then I went back to Chicago to go to art school slash work on President Obama's 2008 campaign. It was as a volunteer. I really wanted to be a volunteer for his campaign. And um, well, that worked out. It did. It did. <laughs> all because of me. Yeah. <laughs> we need you back. <laughs> I'm back. Nobody else was involved in that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think about coming back sometimes. And then after I finished art school and after the election, it was December and I was in love with an Australian at that point and I moved to Australia and was there for seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Jesus, you look like you're 22. How did you fit all of that time in this compressed... It's, it's cutting out the sugar, isn't it? I, th <laughs> I think the hooting trauma is getting to your head, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a twinkly cabin forest with a 22-year-old Jennifer Neal who somehow lived 15 years abroad <laughs> as an adult. I actually aged horribly. <laughs> you can't tell, but I'm actually 12. <laughs> this, my, is, this is what you get. My goodness. All right. Seven and a half years in yeah, Australia. Yeah. Um, and why uh, why did you leave? <laughs> Let's get right to the break. <laughs> well, we broke up in 2013 after five years together. Um, and I decided to stick around. I got my master's there. And that's when I was switching gears into journalism. And I thought, okay, I got my master's here, which was pretty much free because I had the Commonwealth supported placement because I had good grades and I was a permanent resident at that point. And then I got a new job and I was like, I'm not just going to tuck tail and leave just because like my relationship ended. And once I was single again, I realized how unhappy I was in Australia. I realized that the country is 
extremely racist. <laughs> wow. That's saying a lot. You're coming from America. I'm coming from the United States. We, we kind of had a hold on that stuff. Yeah. I mean, Europe technically like imported that, but America perfected it. And then Australia just took it to a whole new fucking level. Yeah. And, you know, people often asked me when they wanted to fight, like, which country's more racist, America or Australia? Because they were always betting on me to say America. And I would say, like, that question is misguided to begin with. Because you're asking me that question not because you want to fix racism, but because you think that if it's better in one place, then I should just go there and you won't have to deal with my critique of racism here. And I'm not going to do that. You reject the premise of that question. Fuck that question. And um, I always say that while both countries are wildly racist, <laughs> as they're, they're doing amazing in the racism category. <laughs> oh, really? Nobody's got to feel bad about how little racism they have. They... They're really excelling <laughs> um, because they're both both like post-colonial like white hegemonies and like super imperialistic and have annihilated their indigenous populations. But in America, the conversation on racism is leaps and bounds ahead. Mm. Yeah. Like it's generally accepted. Like, yeah, we're racist. Like this is a racist country. Um, and you have much more representation, visibility of people of color there. Whereas in Australia, the overall national conversation is still, no, this is not racist. We are not a racist country. Like the fragility, if you tap it with your fingernail, yeah. it'll crack into a thousand pieces. Right. They're just like, oh yeah, that island full of brown people. No. <laughs> It's like, no, we can't be racist against brown people if we killed them all. <laughs> Use your head, man. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Deeply uh, tough, but fair. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, you say that you kind of reject the premise of that question, but the 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 column that you wrote that I had first started reading right. and I thought was so fascinating is, if not asking that question in that way or... Maybe it's just different because if you're the one mm -hmm. asking it and answering it, but uh, it was this amazing kind of exploration of and very humorous also of like what it's like to be black in different countries around the world. Yep. So how did that column get started? Um, it was just an idea I had after um, I, I really wanted to write for The Root at the time and... Um, I just realized that there were not really any black travel journalists writing about that experience. And I came across the phrase Blacksit um, randomly. I think it was my sister, actually, who sent me this link um, written by, uh, I forget the name of the, the woman, the African woman who said, like, if Trump gets elected, we're going to Blacksit, you know? And here are all the things we're taking with us. We're taking shea butter. <laughs> we're, we're taking... Um, uh, what's uh, we're, we're taking these comedians, we're taking the Obamas, we're taking all these people. You can't have them. And Just <laughs> setting the the terms for the divorce. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah I love that. Basically, it's like if you're gonna do this to us <laughs> as a community, we're going to Brexit the fuck out of here. Yeah. And go somewhere. Yeah. So and then you put that in motion. You're like, all right, well, what does Blackset actually look like? Where can we go? Exactly. And I mean. Uh, the first look I took at was Stockholm, not for any particular reason, just because I went there and I thought, oh, there are black people in Stockholm. I'll talk to them. And yeah, I was like, holy shit, this place is super racist as well. <laughs> so then it sort of became like, 
on a personal level, my hunt for a, a better place, but also an exploration of places where black people live that isn't normally discussed or dissected. Like black people in America, sure. Black people in the UK, sure. Black people in Africa, sure. But nobody talks about black people in South Korea or black people in Australia or black people in Japan or black people in Berlin. And I would have wanted to go to like Africa and all these places that are predominantly people of color if I were ever getting paid for that. Um, but that narrative seemed to me to be elaborately explored already. Right. I mean, they their Liberia does exist. Yeah. <laughs> Blackset has happened uh, before. It's been going on for a while. So, and just your, I don't know, I'd, I'd call it fate, but you have chosen these destinies for yourself, but you are continually putting yourselves in societies and cultures that are not black. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not intentionally. <laughs> well, sort of intentionally because, you know, I'm going to the places that have the best healthcare and um, the, like there are lots of factors that go into moving to different countries. One, I was in love, then I came here, blah, blah, blah. And I would like to live in an African country at some point. Mm -hmm. I often ruminate on the idea and think like god what's stopping me all these white ass german people they really want me to leave maybe i should just go um so that's not something i've closed myself off to indefinitely but i still maintain the fact that speaking to black hungarians is an extremely interesting narrative that hasn't been told enough right and and also i you know Lord knows there are 5,000 things that I would never know or understand about the situation, but it does seem like one of the things that would be nice to have in the world is the ability to live where you'd like, <laughs> which you're exercising on a, on a year-in, year-out basis and not, um, and, and not to be restricted uh, yeah. just because you're black shouldn't mean that you don't get to experience the, you know, the awesomeness of uh, a hut dream team. <laughs> <laughs> in your beautiful flat in Panko in uh in in deep Berlin like you get to live on this fucking planet just as anyone else does I mean ideally and and also I just I really want to reject the idea of where black people should and should not belong and this is a conversation where black people have a really strong opinion of and white people have a really strong opinion of. And I'm often criticized by other black people as well, saying like the only place where black people should go back to is Africa. And I'm like, nobody tells me where the fuck I should and should not go. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I'm reclaiming my time, as Auntie Maxine would say. And I really think that the most important like indication of progress or equity or anything is the ability to act as flagrant and as irresponsible and as stupid and as wildly bold as white people. Yeah. What's the, uh, it's the, 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 the opposite of black excellence. Let's go for, <laughs> let's root for black mediocrity. Or... Uh, yo, like why not? I'm tired of having to do everything 10 times better than everyone else just to get my foot in the door. It's exhausting. If I were a white dude, I would be like the CEO of something by now, or I'd already be like three times published author by now. But here I am in Panko sipping on my lemon and ginger tea. Yeah, with a white dude who's a CEO. <laughs> Hello. What a what a what a small kingdom I do rule. But um, 
so true. <laughs> but I mean, the, I mean, the way that went down is probably not un, untypical. I just I made a company and called myself CEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here <laughs> for that. That's the thing to do. Caucasian confidence. Um, all right. Can you just if I touch you, will it rub off on me? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the that's how you got mono. Or whatever yeah, the hell you had in Jakarta. It is. <laughs> be, be careful with that. I, uh, I got to be careful with these white dudes, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but trouble. I think people should go and read your column. Because um, it kind of goes, started in Stockholm, but went down to Hungary and, and all over the place. But, yeah. but give me some of the takeaways uh, just on a, on, a, on a practical level. Did, did you find winners? Did you find... Uh, places where Blacksit uh, felt more achievable and enjoyable than others? Mm. So one of the first takeaways um, from doing my column as a whole is that anti-blackness is universal. Cool. All right. <laughs> just get that out of the way. Let's There's just, no happy ending to, to no, Blacksit. Uh, no, not really. And the column that I started to write but that never got published was actually about Portugal. Because that was the first place I'd been to where there was a very significant black population. Um, and not just a black population, but interracial couples, families, people who are really young and really old. I saw like 70, 80 year old retirees, black woman, white man walking down the street, holding hands together. It's like the sweetest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like the perfect remedy to like Germany's like anti everything having to do with affection. <laughs> and and what I realized was that um, Portugal, uh, and I didn't quite figure it out, but they have a much different attitude towards interracial dating, which which surprised me because they were also one of the most notorious colonizers. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, what they did to Brazil is just really interesting to me and how you have a lot of African immigrants, a lot of Caribbean immigrants, Brazilian immigrants chilling in Portugal, enjoying all the same rights, enjoying all the same privileges, enjoying all the same housing. At least it appeared to me um, as an outsider and speaking to other black people who moved there, they were so happy. Wow. They were absolutely thrilled. There was none of that exhaustion <laughs> that you get when you speak to black immigrants in Germany, for example, or in Australia, it was just like, yeah, this is the best decision I ever made. I'm so happy here. Yeah, come, come, come. Tell everybody. Tell everybody to come here. Um, but, you know, beware of the paperwork and how slow they move because it is Southern Europe. And I was like, gotcha. Yeah. I, I mean, well, listen, one euro beers. Yeah. Uh, great climate. Yeah. Um, there is something about the, and we did some episodes down in Porto and, and mm. even... I don't know. I think of uh, Eduardo Leal as my friend who's a photojournalist who's, I think it was his uh, father or grandfather had been, it must have been grandfather who had been like in the colonial army, mm. you know, and I think had been stationed in all these different places it, just to watch the, how his bloodline had morphed from, you know, what would have been uh, a, a colonizer essentially. And mm. Eduardo just took the kind of, the love of the world and of travel out of that and became a very like beautiful and compassionate journalist, uh, who, uh, I think really gets a lot of places and loves, uh, it's just like a totally different vibe yeah. in that post-colonial time. I don't know how, how Portugal got there, but I, I guess I could, uh, 
uh, I could see how that works. But you had two data points usually when you're doing that column, which is you're talking to black people who are living there, but mm. also feeling for yourself just yeah. kind of street level vibe check. Like, yeah. How hard are the stairs? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there like, was no staring except unless they were accompanied by like winks. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. Okay. Sexy Southern Europe. Sure. <laughs> Twirling my hair. <laughs> um, Man, they made it. They made a hard, uh, a hard play for you uh, down there in Portugal. They did, and when I got back, I, I mean, I was still with my partner at the time, <laughs> but you know, after we split up, I was like, hmm. that could be a place to go. Yeah. Uh, so, where is your personal? It sounds. It sounds to me, and I have to say, like. I thoroughly enjoyed the walk over here. This is a beautiful spot. You got mm-hmm. a little balcony, nice view. Yep. Um, you're 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 getting a lot of the good of Berlin. Sounds like you might be near the end of your rope here, or are you are you sticking it out? I ask myself this question every day, and the answer is today. I don't know. <laughs> um, my whole thing at this point has been to wait until my book is sold. Right. Um, Because we're in the middle of that right now. And depending on like who the publisher is and I suppose how much is involved in the advance money and et cetera, I'll make my decision after that. Because I do have like a good, I do have a good flat here. As you can see, I have a really great community who you've recently become slightly familiar with. Yeah. Good people around here. I have great people here and I've done so much work to really establish myself here within the bureaucratic system and money and work and all that. So it's not something I can give up easily, but at the same time, I know already I'm not going to die here. Well, I'm, not, you're not trying to die. here. No, I'm not trying <laughs> to die I, in a place. Why would I even say that? <laughs> Uh, I'm not trying to die in a place where they don't understand sarcasm. (laughs) Well, well, stop jaywalking. (laughs) Obviously, we're all going to die jaywalking. (laughs) Um, So, so you have, and I guess that's. I mean, it's it's one of the fascinating things. Has nothing to do with being black or white. Just Mm. you as a itinerant person, one of those people who I look up to tremendously because you get to sample living in all these different places around the world and you make it work for yourself. But that other side is that you're always kind of, I guess there's some calculation about like, all right, well, when is this going to be up? Like, yeah, um, always. Yeah. And in, and in today's society with the, um, the instability of politics in, in both of my national, national countries, and even here in Germany, um, I, I don't really know from one month to the next where is a good idea for me to be. But I think it's really important to be mobile and to be adaptable and to really seize opportunities that present themselves as being more secure for me in the future because I don't think it'll last here. Um, if the book does well, it'll give you enough cash to get health care in the States or... <laughs> I mean, this is kind of also one of the yeah. things about Berlin and Germany is like if you are in the warm embrace of the social network yes. here, um, these, you know, I, 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 I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast know all too damn well, like how hard it is to be working in any kind of creative uh, field in the United States, yep. which just 
seems to want to constantly push you off of cliffs uh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of healthcare and education and raising kids and all this stuff that is uh, just a money uh, dump. And uh, yeah. Berlin is different. Like yeah. you, you have protections. I mean, the, I, I swear to God, what I've been telling people is once I'm writing the acknowledgement sections of my book, I am definitely going to thank the German welfare state because they've given me health care to address issues that would never have been possible in the U.S., given me support for mental health services and for just basic things like medication and and advisors who can help me make difficult decisions that are, are there, exist for that very reason. And this is stuff I never had in the U.S. And I remember being charged once as an insured person in Chicago, $3,000 for a yeast infection. Wow. And after that, after fighting that and getting it reduced some, but not nearly enough, I was like, I, I don't think I can ever live here again. Yeah. That's fucking not surprising at all. And no. insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, in, and you know, like I hope in their own personal acknowledgements back to you, the German welfare state will, Thank you for bringing the shit that you bring to Berlin. It's not just you, but you're part of like a group of people that have actually come here and made Berlin a better and more interesting place to be because it goes both ways. Like yeah. they're supporting the kind of people who are going to make a city like really pop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and in return, like you're coming to a place where you're not at constant risk of uh, just financial ruin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a whole other level of psychological uh, thinking when you're in a place where you're not constantly worried about being destroyed by healthcare bills or anything like that. You have to really adjust your mindset to mm. be like, I, I can actually be okay here. I can actually be healthy here and live a good quality of life because in America, like, I mean, there are studies that exist on this, the constant worry with poverty and healthcare issues and avoiding the doctor that will drive you into the grave when it's constantly something that you don't have. And as somebody who doesn't make a lot of money and who is single and unmarried without kids, which is basically like a pariah in most societies, <laughs> um, I still have a place here. Yeah. Yeah. Germans will fuck with that. They don't like... That they they never marry, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they don't care much about that. The 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 sort of child having is something that kind of happens sometimes, and even then they don't they won't quit smoking. You know. No, they, I see so many parents smoking cigarettes next to their kids. I'm like, what are you doing? Y'all could have a very constructive conversation about jaywalking versus secondhand smoke, oh and God. like what's gonna actually kill you. And I, I'm like, there are children watching you. I, <laughs> I remember coming here. I, I think Julia might have been pregnant with our first kid. Or it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, is it all going to change? And how and yeah. what? And then coming to Berlin and just seeing all the cool moms in the fucking <laughs> mid to playground smoking cigarettes yep. while swinging on the swing with their kids. And I was like, okay, well, if they could do that, then... <laughs> 
you know, I can, I can smoke my dad weed every once in a while and, you know, do the things that I need to do to stay uh, a sane human being. So I appreciate that. That goes to my acknowledgments. Thank you, cool moms of Mitta. There you go. <laughs> with your weird ass smoking on the playground. Enabling Nathan and his weed smoking habits since <laughs> 19 something or whatever. <laughs> oh man, I love that. We got to, we have, we have a really popping uh, acknowledgement section going now. <laughs> For this book that you need to sell. Yeah. Th- listen, this episode's coming out in, I don't know, five, six weeks or okay. whenever it is. Uh, sell your fucking book by then so that I can talk about it. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on it. I, I that's what you needed me to come here and just yeah, that's exactly you <laughs> for things that you cannot control. <laughs> uh, but I love your writing. I love your existence. I love all the different fucking media that we've gotten to do. Uh, Thanks, homie together because uh you're just one of those i don't know i mean mentioning the 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 small anthill that uh i am the ceo of uh, (laughs) roads and kingdoms i'm just always i feel like the most tangible thing uh you know with or without tony is always just like hey there's a really interesting group of people out there and you can go to some fucking city in the middle of old prussia and find jennifer neal thank you nathan thank you jennifer The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Production help in Berlin by Alexa Van Sickle. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thanks again to Jennifer for her tea and her time. Look for her forthcoming novel, The Color of Her Blood, in the new year. The next Berlin episode is in two weeks from now with foreign correspondent Simon Schuster, who started his career in Moscow with me at Time Magazine and has gone on to cover big things from war to corruption to hackers to Ukrainian presidents. The very next episode on this feed, though, is from the archives as we continue re-releasing our previously paywalled episodes for the first time free for everyone without a subscription. That episode is going to be the start of last year's Appalachian road trip. We're going to be tasting bourbon in Allentown, PA, with whiskey advocate editor-in-chief Jeffrey Lindemuth. That will be out on Thursday, September 24th. We will meet you there.